This is another edition of Big City Catholics, a diocesan podcast with Bishop Brennan from the Diocese of Brooklyn and myself, Father Chris Henu, the rector of the Co-Cathedral of St. Joseph. We're joined today by Sister Marianne Lopiccolo, who is the diocesan delegate for the Episcopal Delegate for Religious in the Diocese of Brooklyn. She's held this position since 1998, and uh, we're really happy, Sister, that you're here with us to join us in this podcast. But before we begin our conversation, we'll begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How are you doing, sister? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. It's nice to be here with you. Great, great. Bishop, this has been a a good week for you. We're talking a little bit today about religious life. Exactly. So I did a little bit of local traveling in these last couple of days, really around religious professions and jubilees, because a lot of congregations made their vows or entered around September 8th, or one of these feasts of the Blessed Mother. And so I, I was back in Columbus with the Brigitine sisters to celebrate a jubilee. I was up in Rhode Island with the missionary servants of the word, a, a Spanish-speaking order out of Mexico. And then this week, one of our own convents, the sister servants... A servants of the Lord and the Virgin of Matera. From That's Argentina. right. <laughs> and they, they're in Precious Blood Monastery. They're a contemplative order, but they received the final profession of a young woman who was entering their community. And these are all joy-filled celebrations, but they're really celebrations of the gift of one's whole self to God completely in consecrated life. So it's a great opportunity for us to reflect on that gift of consecrated life to, to the church and really as a witness to, to the wider world. Sister Marianne, um, we were talking a little bit about your own community, you're a sister of charity of Halifax. That's right. And when when do your sisters often enter? Well, as I was saying earlier, um, at one point, August 15th was the key day. Again, another Marian feast. And sisters entered, and they made vows on that day. So it was a very significant anniversary. But then as we expanded and into provinces and different regions... We didn't have that one central thing happening. Kind of, we celebrate anniversaries and whatever, wherever we are, you know. Right. But we do keep an annual devotional renewal of vows on December 8th. Across the congregation, wherever we are, we have that celebration. Sometimes in a local parish, we'll gather the sisters from a region. What was really, really moving for me was during COVID, when we were so separated, but communicating by Zoom, like where we all Zoomed out, we were able to do that, um, have that celebration by Zoom. And it was the first time we ever did it as a whole congregation. I tell you, it was very moving. We did it the, for the couple of years. And everybody I talked to said it was so nice that we were all together all for together. it, you know. So there is something about coming together with your community to celebrate significant times. And that's a, that's a key part of religious life as mm. well, because you're certainly offering a gift of yourself to God. Yes. But you're doing so in the context of a community. A big part of religious life is that community aspect. Exactly, exactly. Because as you say, we're all responding to God's desires, no matter what walk of life we're in. But the gift of community gives us that internal support 
and the encouragement and then the sharing of the charism and the mission and the prayer that we can have together. It really is something that we rely on. You know? Sure. Speaking of charism, I know a little bit about the Sisters of Charity. Um, would you like to explain maybe some of the charism and some of the roots of the Sisters of Charity and then your own of the Charity of Har- Halifax? Sure. We are the Sisters of Charity of Halifax, and we are the first congregation that expanded from Mother Seton's original congregation. See, we're unique in that we are a totally American foundation. Many congregations are founded in Europe or mm-hmm. other places, but we were American. In Emmitsburg, Elizabeth started the Sisters of Charity, sent the sisters to New York, and they worked at St. Patrick's on Mott Street, had an orphanage, a school, a convent, they did everything. Eventually, the bishop in Halifax, who, as you know, bishops are friends, and they say, oh, I have these sisters. Oh, I would like sisters, (laughs) you know, asked for sisters to come to Halifax to open a mission. So after a couple of attempts, given what the New York sisters could do, they sent four sisters to Halifax, and we opened a mission, and we started an orphanage. We started a school. What's the pattern? It's the same Mm -hmm. pattern. And it was the school and orphanage were growing, But the community of sisters was not growing because we were connected to New York. The women had to go back to New York for training and all of the, you know, preliminary. And that was not not practical. I mean, it wasn't airplane days for sure. We're talking 1849, (laughs) 1850, you know, forget it. So the decision was made that it become a separate foundation. So we did that in 1855. So since then, we've grown and grown. But we're the first community, like a daughter community of Elizabeth's actual foundation, you know, from New York. And then from that, many have gone. So, But the mission really is, for us, we always say, is to give joyful witness to love. But we really are rooted in the rule of St. Vincent de Paul. That's right. Because that's the rule that Elizabeth adapted to American colonial life. So that's the underlying thing, is how do we serve in charity wherever God puts us, you know? And now from Halifax, you're serving really all over all the, over, the yeah, Northeast, we to, especially, right? Right. We went through Canada. We came, to, uh, we came to New York. Our Lady of Angels in Brooklyn was our first mission. We were there in Boston, and we had Bermuda. We had some sisters in Peru. Dominican Republic for a short time, for a while. They're no longer there. So we have spread. And now, like most communities, the numbers are decreasing because of age and, right. and all of that. You know. So, But the spirit is there. Oh, indeed. Oh, very <laughs> much so. Yeah, I, I remember um, Ed Wilkinson on, on a show that he does for NetTV called On the Block. Uh-huh. He interviews priests of the diocese. And he interviewed me once and asked me about my vocation story. And he said, which nuns, uh, sisters, were an integral part of your vocation story? I said, well, Ed, I'm, at the time I was 27 years old. I, you know, I was a public school kid, and then I went to Catholic high school. Yeah. I didn't really, sadly, meet very many sisters religious in, in, my, in my formation to the priesthood, especially in, my, in those moments of the planting the seed. Mm-hmm. I can name a few, but that wasn't Sister So-and-so who was my third grade teacher right. or whomever. Can, sister, what was your inspiration to being open to the call to serve the Lord in, in love and giving joyful witness to love? What was your journey like? I think for me, I always wanted to be a teacher. 
You know, when they ask you and you're like four years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I want to be a teacher. And my sister and brother were so good to be my class because we played school <laughs> all the time, you know. So I think it was the attraction to the ministry that these women were teachers and they were excellent teachers. And then I, as I grew, you know, through the years, especially in grammar school, I got to see how well they got along and the joy that they shared and the presence they were to the people in the parish. You know, you'd see them walking two by two around visiting and all. And I just said, there's something about them. And they were normal, if I could say that. I mean, <laughs> right. I thought some sisters were not normal, but they were just normal people, you right. know, and very open with us. So I, I had the thought in the back of my head, I said, gee, that, that would be nice. And then it was like, oh, forget that. No way. You know, I was having too much fun being like a teenager and doing all that stuff. But it stayed with me. And I, I said, I'm going to pursue this because I felt called. Yeah. I, I felt I had a relationship with God that was a gift for sure. But then I just felt I, the teaching was a big piece. And then I just said, I, I, I want to try it. I want it because if I didn't try it my whole life, I'd be saying, I wonder if, mm. right? So I said, that's how I got my mother to agree that I could do this. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I said, I'm just going to try it. Give me a few months, and if I don't like it, I'll be home. Well, 55 years later, here I am. <laughs> here you are. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, so. And, you know, your journey has brought you into all kinds of ministerial work. But uh -huh. since 1993, you've been serving all of the different religious communities and assisting the various bishops in, in their role of service as vicar for religious, a delegate for religious here in the Diocese of yes. Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, it's, it's such a wonderful ministry. I really love it, I guess because it's a people-centered and for those of us in ministry, if it's not people-centered, oh, I bother, right? Ooh, that's I mean, true. That's my thing. From the time, 1998 was when I started. From that time when we had still had large numbers of sisters, brothers, religious priests serving on the diocese to what we are now, I've seen the changing and the shifting, you know. But, the, you know, like the, the, the lifeline hasn't changed. It's still a people-oriented ministry. As I said at the beginning... I went back to look at some of the numbers from 1993 at that time with the sisters, brothers, and religious priests. We had 2,100 serving in the diocese, serving or living in the diocese, because at that time we also had retired um, religious. Now, this year, we're 635. Wow. So you can see the shift that has happened. And those that are here... I'd say maybe 50% of them are actually in ministry, paid ministry in different things. The rest of them are in mission and love staying in the parishes because they're still connected to the life of the diocese and do what they can, volunteer. I love when the older sisters tell me, she said, I go and help at the senior citizens group. I was like, yeah, we're, yeah. you're going to help them, you know? <laughs> but the sense is they're still connecting. They're the connecting right. is so important, you know? The shift that has happened and the number changed so drastically because in the Diocese of Brooklyn, we have no mother houses. Right. We, do. we had the Sisters of Mercy, but then they changed their structure, so we don't have that. We have the General Lake for the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn, but again, it's not a mother house mm. when you think of that. 
All the mother houses, or many of them, connected to our diocese are on Long Island. That's right. Because that originally was Brooklyn Diocese. So they just expanded, bought the property, and had their big places out there. So now when the sisters retire and they need extra care, they generally move to the mother house. So they leave us. Right. So the numbers in Rockville Center are larger because of that. Well, you know, some of the big religious congregations that have deep roots here yeah. on Long Island, yes. in Brooklyn, Queens, yeah. Nassau, Suffolk, there, there is that shift. And, and then, as you mentioned, aging mm. coming out. I always remember when I was a priest in Nassau, yes. Suffolk, in the Diocese of Rockville Center, uh, going to the Mother House, for example, and many of the the sisters would say, oh, you know, Brooklyn's where it really is at. Queens <laughs> is where it's really... Oh, yeah. the, the, the sisters who are retired have great, great love oh, for Brooklyn and Queens. Oh, and, and, well, now I'm singing that song. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so many of them, as they move out, they'll tell me they're moving... They'll say to me, now, you'll keep me on your mailing list, won't you? So I send them all the notices. They're all aware. And then, as I say, during the Zoom years, they were able to connect with us in so many different ways, you know. One of the shifts that I've seen, though, not just numbers, is the change in the demographics of our religious. Yes. You know, I've often said the religious came to follow the people that came here to settle, from Europe mostly, right? right? But now it's the same thing with our international groups. We have multiple congregations from Africa, different areas, a lot from Nigeria, different states in Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana, Tanzania. You know, we do have African, we have Asian, we have Korean sisters who serve in parishes, Chinese sisters, Vietnamese sisters for the most part are studying at St. John's and St. Francis. Thank you, God, for scholarships. You know, That's right. That whole shift of South America. And that, that changes the um, nature of your own role. It does. Um, what I had seen in other dioceses is that, especially in places like Bull Rockville Center, for example, where mm. it's somewhat more established That's and right. it's the orders that, that have been there a while. There's the communication and coordination piece but here in Brooklyn and Queens, you're constantly dealing with immigration issues, yes. with welcoming issues, mm-hmm. with helping people to connect. And, you know, the people, the sisters who come particularly, but the sisters and the brothers, but the sisters who come, a lot of them are very professional women. They're coming oh. over here and they're serving as nurses and this, yeah. uh, even physicians hmm. and, and in education. But many, many are meeting the needs of these very same immigrant communities. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Um, And some, as you say, are able to continue with their professions that they came with, but a lot of them can't because they can't afford the education piece to be certified and licensed here. So most of my, like I say, many of my African sisters, especially, again, physicians back home and whatever, are are home care attendants, you know? But again, they're serving the people. But you know what? It's not diocesan work. Like when people say, well, how many work for the diocese? I'll say very few. Right. Some teaching. You know, we do have a number of teachers. They're here, but they're serving the people of the diocese, but not under the diocesan institutions that we're used to. And they do so in a way that they give a powerful witness to the gospel. And and then there too, though, they're still involved in their own parishes as religious and bearing witness to their own charisms 
exactly. and uh, meeting the needs of yeah. people. You mentioned some of these more established religious hmm. communities, the ones I'm mostly familiar with are your own, the yeah. Sisters of Charity, the Dominicans, the Josephites, Josephites the Mercies, yeah. uh, the Congregation of the Infant Jesus, mm -hmm. um, Ursuline. Those are some of the ones that have right. been here for roots. We're celebrating this year the Jubilee of the Cathedral Parish. Yes. And we were talking about that as sort of a gateway yes. for many, many Catholic people, for the Catholic Church mm -hmm. here in this part of New York State, the first parish church for all of Long Island. Right. And so in, in a similar way, this became the gateway for a lot of religious communities. You spoke about the European communities mm -hmm. in the past. Yes. We hope to celebrate that. I did it a few years back in the year of consecrated life. There are seven congregations that came through hmm. the parish of St. James at the time before it was cathedral. It was the parish of St. James that had their beginnings here in that parish and then moved on. You know, you have the, the Sisters of Charity of New York who were at Mott Street. Right. Interesting story. They and the Francis, the um, Christian brothers, La Salle Christian brothers, were already in Manhattan. They used to come by ferry in the morning from Manhattan to Brooklyn to teach the children. Mm. So they were doing that together, coming. Then eventually they became established in St. James Parish. So they're those two. Then we had Visitation Monastery began in St. James Parish, then eventually moved out to Bay Ridge when they got the larger property. The Sisters of Mercy established their mother house right next door. And I think there's a plaque on that corner building to say that was their first American mother house coming from Ireland. The Sisters of St. Joseph came from Carondelet in, in the Midwest. They came here and established here. And then the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn came from Ireland to St. James Parish and moved on. The Dominicans weren't in the parish. They were at St. Mary's in Williamsburg because they got left at the pier. I've heard stories. I always wondered yeah. if this is folklore really. So <laughs> no, that's what happened. No, they really did. They came from Bavaria and got off the boat and some bishop from another state was supposed to meet them and <laughs> never came. So they walked to the nearest church, which was St. Mary's, and they stayed there. He, the, the pastor said, oh, we'd love to have you here. So <laughs> gave them the house and whatever. So then they, they were, but they were loosely connected to that beginnings in downtown Brooklyn. Right. So many other stories. Even the congregation of the infant Jesus tell a similar story of how they came from France, were left at the pier, and nobody was around. So a little child came and brought them an apple, brought them each an apple. So that's their symbol. If that's you ever right. talk to them, they always have an apple because that oh, was wow. the first sign of welcome to Brooklyn wow. was they had an apple. So, yeah, so we really had a lot of congregations begin right there at St. James and then spread through. And then, of course, others came later. But I just think that's a piece of our history we need to celebrate. Very, very much so. Very much so. Yeah. And my question, sister, would be, are there still, uh, there's still a desire for new orders to come to petition to serve here in the diocese or, or reside in the diocese, as you were saying? Do you still receive uh, like invitations or calls petitioning um, We that? do. We do get some. Um, not as many as, say, maybe like 10 or more years ago. Mm. There were more. We do get them, but... You know, as I used to say to Bishop DeMarzio, and I think I've said it to you too, Bishop Brennan, you know, we have to be practical. 
because we really don't have any housing available for religious. Now, if they come from another country, they expect we're going to provide mm. housing and establish them in a ministry. Well, we don't have either of that to offer. If they have skills and something they can offer in a ministry, that's a possibility. But as far as convent housing, and they mostly want to come and live as a community, we just don't have it anymore. Sure. You know, so... I, I say we have to, this is like my thank you, but no thank you letter. You know, I'm happy that you came to us. However, sure, it's hard to, you know, if it's an individual who you can place one sister who's going to work with the parish and she doesn't mind living intercommunity, that has more possibility. But just because the structures are that they are, we can't. I think there's even a parish in Jackson Heights, is it Blessed Sacrament, where there's maybe two or three different Communities are, living in the same house, yes, right? In Blessed Sacrament, we have two communities living there. But more interestingly, at St. Andrew Avellino in Flushing, we have about seven or eight different communities oh, wow. of African sisters. Some of them work at Ozenham Hall, which is really not far. They just get the bus up Northern Boulevard and they're there, you know. So they're most, almost all of them, maybe one or two are teachers, but all of them are home care or nurses. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So culturally, it's easier if you can keep the same culture living together. Right. And I've tried the other, you know, like to mix the American sisters with other cultures. It doesn't always mix. The sisters who come to study, the young Vietnamese sisters, live with American sisters, and both of those convents are doing well. You know, like the older sisters become their tutors. They call them grandma. You know, <laughs> it's this mentor idol. You know, well, they need it. They're, they're yeah. young and they're in a new country. So the older sisters really provide a safe place for them to study and to live, you know. So that's working. That is. <laughs> that wow. model is that's working. That's great, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, another thing that's happened with religious life is that many of the ministries, you might say, of uh, the, these communities that they established some time ago and maybe don't have the personnel, yeah. the ministry continues. Yes. So, you know, yesterday I was at Immaculate Conception Center in Douglaston, and of course that's a hub of all kinds of activity. Yeah. And so the Josephite sisters were meeting. They had a meeting of their um, sponsored Ministries oh, in education. Oh. And so, you know, you see some of their legacy. Oh. Some of the high schools that we have were really founded by religious communities, yes. men and women religious communities, mm -hmm. and they still continue the charism of yeah. the group, but they're run really by boards of trustees. And yes. so those continues. Yeah. We have two Catholic colleges, universities here, uh, three. We have three. Um, so we have uh, St. John's, St. Joseph's, and St. Francis That's right. that all have their roots in the religious life. And they're all actually still somewhat connected to the religious orders. Yes. But yeah. still, there's more of a board. We, we kind of, as we go into this new, the new needs of the new century, well, this is it. you need to bring in other areas of expertise. Yeah. Yeah. I remember from Long Island, what's now a very strong diocesan healthcare system. When I say diocesan, I, I mean. It kind of stands alongside of the diocese. It's an independent system, but Catholic, mm. truly Catholic. Each of those hospitals mm. was founded by a religious sure. community. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I remember I was uh, secretary to Bishop McGann, and he said when he was a kid growing up here in Brooklyn, Our Lady Good Council Parish, mm -hmm. they used to go out to visit St. Charles Hospital yes. all the way out in Port Jefferson, founded yeah. by the Daughters of Wisdom, because that was the only place where children with polio 
Yes. Oh. treated. And his parents said, you have to be part of this. You have to see this. You have to realize, you know, first of all, count your own blessings, but realize how we have to serve other people. But at mm -hmm. that time, that area of Long Island was fiercely anti-Catholic, fiercely. Mm -hmm. And they were not happy with the coming of the sisters. However, the hard work that they did and the service that they did for children with polio, regardless of faith, is what opened the door to Catholicism right. in that part of Long Island. Yeah. And and that story could be told over sure. and mm -hmm. over and mm -hmm. over again. Um, even my own community has a story about um, opening up Seton Hall in Patchogue, yes. which now is St. Joseph's That's right. University. Um, but the same thing, that the sisters were not allowed to buy a large lot of land to start the school. So one very clever sister, she bought little plots of land and built a little cottage. And then there was space and built a cottage and built a cottage. Before you knew it, she had all of this land that was individually bought for cottages. And some of the sisters who went to those went to school there at the very beginning remember classes in the cottages before they could actually build the Isn't school, so it's the same kind of a story. That's very Mother Seton-like, wouldn't very you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The how ingenious can they be with this? Like, we'll, we'll out with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's but, indeed. So it is. It's uh, But I think what you said about the mission is so important. You know, like, as the communities are getting smaller and looking at what's the next step, it's the mission that called us, and it's the mission that will continue, whether we have associate groups, a lot of communities have that, or the sponsored ministries. And I know for a long time now, especially the institutions with religious, have been, well, creating what they call a mission effectiveness office, where the staff That's and right. the boards are trained in the mission of this institute, mm, that's right. you know, which is really the mission of the congregation. And that's part of their ongoing development so that the mission isn't lost. The sisters may not be able to do it anymore or be gone from it, but this hospital, this institute, this agency continues in the spirit of the St. Joseph sisters, the Dominicans of the charities or whatever, you know, and and that's and because we're all the mission of the gospel, it's just a different way into serving it. And if the people need to be served, we'll figure out a way to do it. You know, precisely, precisely. And that, that that's I think a great legacy that it's true today, and it always will be true. And yeah. uh, something for which we can give tremendous thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah Bishop, I, I feel like I just kind of passed over in the very beginning your three different encounters uh, in Columbus and Rhode Island and. And here this this uh, week in in the diocese, each and every week, I'm able to say mass for the missionaries of charity who that's work right. out of uh, on Macon Street. You know your encounter with your those three. That's right. I was with them for the feast of uh, Mother Teresa of Mother as Teresa. well. Yeah, that's right. right. I yeah. forgot and, to um, mention that. Sure. You know, and and I know that that your your three encounters in Rhode Island, Columbus, and and just here recently in Brooklyn and. My, my weekly encounter with the Missionaries of Charity, for me, is a great source of strength. It's a very early morning Mass on a Tuesday morning, and some Tuesday mornings I'm not always as uh, bright-eyed uh, to, to go. But when I do, every Tuesday, for me, is just a, it's just a blessed day, honestly. Mm. It's to start the day with these very 
devout and joy-filled and holy women, for me, is a great sense of support. I think, you know, Bishop, you mentioned in last week's podcast that you said you were kind of sense of envy or jealousy or towards the priests who get the chance to go uh, and say those weekly masses. I, I think often... I've been asked to go because I need it, you know, it's, <laughs> uh-huh. it's really for my, my free slid, my vocation, you know, I'm thinking this imperfect vessel, this sinner, this wounded healer, you know, going, I need those, those weekly encounters for me. It's just a great blessing. So to reiterate my quote vocation story, I, it's unfortunate for me that I didn't get those opportunities that so many did, so many priests did, to be inspired by uh, the lives of, of just great witnesses, holy witnesses, religious life. For me, it, it, I, feel, I feel a little envious that I didn't get those experiences. It is a great blessing, the, the work that you do and that the religious do in the diocese. And, and uh, for all of us, it's just a great, a great blessing. So I just want to say, Sister... Thank you. Thanks for for all that you do and for all that the men and women do in our diocese. Well, you're welcome. And may I just make make me think of another aspect of religious life that is very, very important. So we're used to the sisters, brothers, and priests who we see out and about doing all kinds of work, but we have a couple of contemplative congregation and missionary charities, they even, they have an active branch and a contemplative branch, Mm -hmm. but even the contemplative branch, they they get out and about, but there was some communities that are contemplative that it really the old sense of contemplative fully, behind the grave yeah. and, and that's an important both witness and need so we need the, the prayers of these contemplative mm. communities but also the witness they give us to the the need for prayer exactly exactly yes um the monasteries that we have like the carmelites who are that fully enclosed presence right. you know um, visitation right which, has an academy, but also have the enclosure. They were enclosed, but they had some exposure to, like, to, to yeah. be able to interact with. So the children would see who the they are, and but, the but largely they are behind. Exactly, the and then, um, well, then precious, precious blood, blood, which was filled with sisters of precious, the adorers of the precious blood at one time, and now we're down to one. But we've had that blended community there for more than ten years. The servants of the Lord sisters. And they have a novitiate there, so they really are inviting new vocations and training them right there. So you see, like, it's kind of the Paschal journey, you know, it's like there really is no death. It's just a rebirth. Mm. Right. It's a rebirth and a new life coming there. And that's one of the beautiful things is we spoke about the, these encounters I experienced this week. The beauty is that there is rebirth. And you know, maybe the numbers aren't the same, but we are seeing professions. Yes. We are seeing communities yes drawing in vocations mm-hmm. and young women and men who are taking a look and giving it a try, as you said, yeah. to see if this is where the Lord is calling exactly. them. So we certainly continue to encourage these vocations and we certainly mm. pray for those who are discerning religious vocations. Yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I think we have to be creative about how we, what, what are we offering them? Right. You know, don't come and like enter a, a nursing home, so to speak, when the sisters are all. But I think we have to help them create what's meaningful for them because they look for 
community, prayer, and ministry. Those right. are the three. And those are our three foundational That's legs. Right. I mean, we're all built on And that. all of those things, community, prayer, and ministry, they're all wrapped around a charism. So people exactly. don't just say, oh, I want to be a sister. What they do is they discern a community. They, they yes. see where, yeah. that's, where that, their skills where and their fit, spirituality is going to right out. Thank you so, so this much. So Sister and I go back years and years and years. <laughs> we served on a number of committees, and I never dreamed we'd have the opportunity to work together so closely. I know, I'm thrilled. I know. This has been real joy. And yeah. I'm thrilled that you're here with us today. Thank you. Thank very, you so much for having much. me. Thank it's you, just Sister. been wonderful. Honestly, Thank yes. you. Bishop, if you, perhaps you'd want to end us with a prayer and, and a final blessing. Please. That'd be great. We'll offer one Marian prayer. I think of the Stella Maris prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Loving Mother of the Redeemer, Gate of Heaven, Star of the Sea, assist your people who have fallen yet strive to rise again. To the wonderment of nature, you bore your Creator, yet remained a virgin after as before. You, who received Gabriel's joyful greeting, have pity on us poor sinners. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you again, Sister Marianne Lopiccolo, uh, for your presence here with us on our podcast, Big City Catholics. Next week, uh, you'll be joined, Bishop, you'll be joined with Deacon Kevin McCormick, the uh, superintendent of Catholic schools, who will be taking my spot as I lead a uh, pilgrimage to Germany. So uh, I, we could have taken this podcast on the on the on the road but uh i think that would be a little too pricey to fly us over all over to germany or we we look kind of funny carrying all this equipment <laughs> right. don't worry i'll sister marianne and i will continue to stay back here and work <laughs> someone has to do it now you're doing a pilgrimage you're doing the work of the lord i try i try so thank you to all who have uh, tuned in today and we we hope that you have a great rest of the day god bless you.